The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that, he may, that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin. This is the one who is doubting Thomas. After the resurrection, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he was already dead and had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, Mary rose quickly and came to Jesus. Now he had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. 
She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that she... If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one house the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus was no longer walking openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples. The Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Then... Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii, given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. A great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away believing in Jesus. Father, bless the reading of your holy word to our hearts, to our minds. Help us to hear you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. John's gospel is really a gospel of two books. There is the book of signs, the first half of his gospel. And then there's the book of the passion and resurrection. Our passage this morning marks the close of the first book, the book of signs, where Jesus is performing miracles that that meet real physical needs that are there before him, but point to deep and abiding spiritual realities about who he is and what he's come to do for all. In it, we read of the greatest of Jesus' signs prior to his passion, this one, this Last and final sign before Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection. He's provided miraculously. He's provided wine and bread. In those two miracles, we ought to be seeing glimpses of the sacrament of Holy Communion. He's provided miraculously. He's, he's healed miraculously he's healed a dying boy he's healed a man who suffered for 38 years he's healed a man born blind in this first book the book of signs even nature itself has been bent under his supernatural power as he walked out upon the waters of the sea itself. But here and now, Jesus confronts what can't be undone. What can't be undone. John opens his gospel in a very unique way. Sure, there's his prologue, giving us a peek into what we're about to encounter in the life of Jesus. But even more striking than his prologue, which is peculiar to John's gospel, is John's subtle but undeniable invitation. Come and see. You hear it first from Jesus. You'll remember that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus 
and sent two of his own disciples to follow Jesus. And when those two disciples approached Jesus, they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus' words to them were, come and see. You hear it concerning Jesus, not just from him, but concerning him. When Philip went to Nathanael that next day and said, we think we might have found him. We think we might have found the one that Moses and the prophets and all of the Old Testament has pointed to. We think we might have found him. He's a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And you'll remember Nathaniel's snarky reply to Philip. The Messiah from Nazareth? Does anything even good come from there? And hopefully again you can hear Philip's reply to Nathaniel. Come and see. Early on in John's Gospel, as you're hearing that phrase, that, that invitation, come and see, repeated, we're being invited into the text of John's Gospel. Come and see. Remember that Jesus told Nathaniel when Nathaniel said, You've seen me before I even knew you were here? You are the Messiah. Jesus said, You'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We've been invited in. Come and see. And now the invitation is offered to Jesus. Eleven chapters in, the invitation is offered to the Word made flesh. He asks the question, Where have you laid him? And the Jews tell Jesus, Come and see. You see, this is what John's Gospel has been all about. The eternal Son of the Father made flesh like us, tabernacling among us, camping where we camp, building a house where we've built a house. Come to see the totality of our brokenness so that we might enter so that He might enter into our brokenness. So that He might taste the bitterness of death in order to redeem us from sin, its guilt, its power, its consequences, its nature. Come and see. Come and see, Jesus. See what human brokenness and misery looks like. See what human disappointment feels like. Come and see. This is the sum of John's invitation to us. Come and see Jesus. The Word made flesh. The One who came and saw. The tabernacle of God in our midst. Come and see Jesus so that you might believe that He is indeed the Christ, the Lord's Messiah, 
the Son of the living God, so that, in order that, by believing, you might have life in His holy name. But here, as one book gives way to another, as the book of signs is drawing to a close, and we're in that final chapter of that first book, as the next book is being opened up before us, the tables are turned, and the invitation is returned to Jesus. Come and see. And in that moment, Jesus wept. I remember as a kid, you'd get points for in Sunday school for memorizing Scripture, and that was always the first one. Memorize a verse of Scripture, you get a little point, you get a little star on your, on your attendance record and whatnot, and you build up points and you get prizes and that sort of thing. David, I'm sorry for saying that in front of your Sunday school class. They're going to be really bummed about this. But to think about John's placement of that shortest of verses, Jesus wept as a response to the Jews telling Jesus, come and see your friend who is dead. As I've covered many a grieving family, Jesus both knows of our suffering and cares about our suffering. He is not ignorant to it, nor does He ignore it. He comes into it and sees it for Himself. He weeps. He groans at our brokenness. Death is the great equalizer. It is at once the battle we must all fight and the battle we must all finally lose. Everyone is the same before death because none of us can defeat it. It is that final and last battle. Paul called it the last enemy to be defeated. It is not our friend. It is not something we bargain with. It is an enemy. It is the final statement upon the brokenness of sin until Jesus makes a different final statement. Your brother will rise again, Martha. I know, I know. But not now. Only at the end. Only when God finally has His victory over this world. Only when He finally puts things to rights. For now, my brother is dead. And that is the end in a real way right now.
I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus tells her. Even if you die believing in me, you'll not die. You'll live on. Don't you believe this, Martha? And her reply is, you are the Christ. Of course I believe. You can do whatever you want because God hears you and God will do whatever you want because of His great love for you. And now, as if to put the final nail in the coffin of the question concerning whether Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, in whom we are invited to believe and in whose name we are invited to live, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, my friend, come forth. Don't ask me how it happened. Don't ask me how he did it. That's kind of the underlying point to miracles. That's kind of what John is telling us. This is the one who spoke the worlds into existence. This is the great Aslan who sang all of Narnia and all of its creation into existence. He can do what He wants. His power is unlimited. He can walk on the waters. He can open the eyes that have been blind from birth. And He can call a dead man back out of a tomb. C.S. Lewis said in his journal that he kept after the death of his wife as he was grieving, and he's talking about how he's bargaining with God and just wishing God would send her back, bring her back. And he talks about how selfish that would be. She would have to taste death again. He said they call Stephen the first martyr. Hadn't Lazarus the rawer deal? Because Lazarus, who had felt the tight and unrelenting grip of death, was called back from it and would one day live to die again. He must die again. He was brought back from death. But in the resurrection, what we'll be celebrating in a couple of weeks, on Easter Sunday, Jesus not, does not merely come back from death. No, He goes all the way through death and comes out on the other side. That's what the resurrection is about. It's not just about life after death. As N.T. Wright puts it, it's about life after life after death. It's about something new, new creation. God raising up a dead body and giving it life and glorifying it never to die again. Never to know pain and hurt. But Lazarus would know pain and hurt again. He would know suffering and death again. Because Jesus had not yet been resurrected. A short time later, 
on the eve of Palm Sunday's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And let me just say as a little commercial, y'all don't want to miss next week. Brother Eric is going to be here. Miss Yvonne is going to be here. It's going to be an incredible service. He always does a fantastic job preaching. Our kids have some special stuff planned. We've got some incredible music. You don't want to miss it. Bring a friend. Come early. Commercials ended. But just a short time later, on the eve of Palm Sunday's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus throw a celebratory dinner party for Jesus to thank Him and express their love for Him. And Mary's expression of love becomes over the top and seemingly wasteful. Imogene, will you come here for a moment? Imogene's bringing around a a small vial of spikenard, the real deal, so that you can see what it smells like. Mary's expression of love becomes over the top and seemingly wasteful. She pours a pound of of that stuff. A pound of spikenard. Oil that was imported from a Himalayas. A pound of spikenard cost a year's worth of income. Now you think about what that means to you. A year's salary. Everything that you earned... Everything that shows up on that W-2 that you're avoiding. All of it. She pours a pound of that oil all over Jesus' feet. Wiping the dirt from His feet with her hair. In middle school, I had a friend named Trice. He and I grew up together. I moved into the house my parents still live in when I was three years old. And Trice was guy to live two houses up the road. And he and I were best friends from day one. He used to always carry bottles of cologne to school with him in his backpack. The that's weird enough, but the really unfortunate thing is before school they wouldn't open the doors, and we so rain or shine, we cold, hot, didn't matter. We sat out standing around, few hundred kids in a parking lot, concrete everywhere. There's no grass to be found. You better not get on the grass. And one morning he tossed his backpack down to the ground and. Tss, 
this big bottle of cologne everywhere. I bet the kid still smells like that cologne. <laughs> he, I, I think he threw away the backpack eventually because the, the scent wouldn't just wash out and it was just overwhelming. But that would have been a probably a 1.7 ounce bottle. Imagine a 16 ounce bottle of spikenard being just lavishly poured out on Jesus' feet. And imagine her letting down her hair and wiping his feet, wiping the filthy dirt from his feet with her hair. Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine the scene? The awkwardness of her worship. Imagine how uncomfortable the situation would have been for all of those gathered in the room. But Mary didn't care. She paid no mind to anyone's questions or worries or second thoughts. She had no second thoughts. This is my Lord and He's brought back my brother from the dead. He deserves Everything. Because all of it is His. All of it is rightfully His. I will give anything to express my love to Him. But Judas Iscariot says what others in the room very well might have been thinking, but he says it from the motive of one who's wanting to get his hands on that money that that oil could have been sold for. This is undignified. A waste of precious resources that can't be undone. She's poured it all out on the ground. This house is never going to smell the same again. That money that could have been brought in is just burned up. What has she done? How stupid can she be? And Jesus interrupts him saying, Leave her alone. She has kept this for my burial. And you back off. burial wait a minute it's the next day that Jesus will climb aboard a donkey and ride through the gates of Jerusalem with the crowd shouting Hosanna save us Hosanna in the highest. Palm Sunday was the day that the sacrificial lambs were selected for slaughter later in the week. The day of examination. The day of picking and choosing. Deciding which would be the sacrifice. The shadow of the cross 
looms over all that remains before it. The die has been cast. There's no going back. There's no returning from this looming ledge. That which has now been put in motion is what can't be undone. The cross is coming. So much so that the Pharisees begin plotting, how can we get rid of not just Jesus, but also get rid of this man Lazarus? This is trouble we don't want. This is a situation that is getting out of our control and we had better grab the reins and get it back under control. Or we're going to lose everything. All will be lost. All will be wasted. Jesus has just crossed a line that has been drawn in the sand. And there was no bluff being called. He will die. He will die a cruel and humiliating death. As a Gentile and outside the city. He has finally built a bridge too far and the Pharisees, the majority of them at least, will not go with him. They will turn him over to death. On this side of the cross, as we approach it in the next couple of weeks, May we hear the voice of Jesus calling us by name, inviting us like Lazarus out of death. And may our response to him be to follow his voice, to sit at his table, and to worship him foolishly. Let's pray.